We're going to be in verses 15 through 21 today, and I'm reading out of the ESV. The title of today's message is Filled with the Spirit, which is a phrase that's actually directly taken from the text today. And again, the title of our series is In Him, which is sort of the summary phrase of the entire book. Paul uses it over and over to describe our position in Christ before the Father. And it again appears in this text today. So let's read in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And at the reading of God's word, let's pray. Father, we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And we welcome your Holy Spirit to do God-sized things in us today. Lord, without your Holy Spirit, without your grace, we cannot hear or see or perceive the things that are plainly right in front of us. So give us that spiritual power and discernment, Lord, to hear, see, and believe, and walk in the light of our salvation that's been given to us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's this term in verse 18. It says, be filled with the Spirit. And that's been summarized as the phrase being spirit-filled. And I think that phrase has often been misunderstood or misapplied. And there's actually some who just entirely stay away from that phrase, even though it's right in the Bible. But there's, there's many churches and movements who will, who will stay away from that phrase now because they're spooked by its misuse and its abuse. You know, in my charismatic upbringing, to be spirit-filled meant to speak in tongues, or to have an emotional experience with God, probably at an altar call. To others, it meant being in some sort of entranced state where you, have, uh, where you see visions. But the Bible actually doesn't ultimately describe it as any of those things, though you may receive a spiritual gift and though sometimes you may have an emotional experience. So today we're going to look at how the Bible describes being filled with the Spirit, and what that looks like, and how practical it actually is from day to day as we walk with God. And Spirit-filled, I want to mention, is actually one of the tenets, uh, the primary tenets of our movement in Acts 29. And I've always appreciated that about Acts 29. And the whole idea is, we don't just want to have right doctrine, because you can have right doctrine and not have the fire of God burning in your heart, the fire of passion And worship. We want to feel what we believe and let, as they say, our theology lead to doxology. You know, the the idea of of exalting Christ and being lifted up to that experience with Him. So many times you'll see churches who have the right confession of faith in their bylaws, but no real life of the Spirit in the church. And I'm not off the mark when I say that that is exactly the diagnosis of how many churches die. And so we want to 
enjoy the life of the Spirit. We want to pursue the life of the Spirit. We're not afraid of the life of the, of the Spirit or the experience that we have with the Holy Spirit. Now, somebody might rightly ask, well, wait, why is Paul saying, be filled with the Spirit, when I thought that we already have the Holy Spirit as Christians? And in fact, you would be right if you thought that, and that's a good question. Doesn't the Bible teach that we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation? Well, yes, it does. And theologians call this the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we see it in verses like Romans 8, 9, where it says, You, however, speaking to all the believers in the church of Rome, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So clearly, every Christian receives the entire Holy Spirit at salvation. You don't get like a junior Holy Spirit. You don't get like, you know, an arm of the Holy Spirit. And then later on, you get more of him. You get the entire dude. You get the entire guy. Romans 8, 9 clearly tells us that you receive the Holy Spirit the moment you're saved. On the other hand, passages like this in Ephesians show us that there is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When Paul says to Christians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this passage in Ephesians must not be talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit. It must be talking about something else. This must mean that there's an ongoing experience with the Holy Spirit that we should be aware of and we should pursue. A state of awareness and joy that can come and go even though the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. So for Paul to say, be filled with the Spirit, must mean that we leak. Right? We, we have these moments with God where we're filled, and often happens when, this, when God's people gather together. We're filled with God. We're filled with the life of the Spirit. And we go out and we say, man, this is the greatest thing in my life. And then, literally from day to day, and sometimes hour to hour, we can drift and we can leak and we can move away from that experience. So Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Just like there are degrees of empty and full in your gas tank in your car, it seems to be so in your spirit that our experience and enjoyment of Christ can be radically different from season to season and sometimes from day to day. So, with that being said, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I think there's several things we can draw from this text and from the New Testament, and I'll start with this one. To be filled with the Spirit means, number one, you see the centrality and the beauty of Christ. You see the centrality and beauty of Jesus in life and in the gospel. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, We come to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that reference to that whole idea of being in Him. I don't come in my name. I come to God the Father dressed in Jesus. He's my garment. And because of Christ, Hebrews says, I can come before him boldly and with great confidence. But he says to come with gratitude, to be thankful. Now, I want you to think about that idea of being thankful. To be thankful means you've actually seen something that you ought to be grateful for. So in the New Testament then, Gratitude and thankfulness are not just a commandment. You know what I mean? Where you, you look at it and you go, well, the Bible says be thankful, so I guess, all right, I, 
thank you, God. But, but yet you don't feel its effect. You don't feel the, the, the power of that or the reason for that. True biblical gratitude is actually your heart responding to something that your spiritual eyes have seen. And what is that? It's Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. Listen to what John 15, 26 said. Jesus said in John 15, 26, describing the Holy Spirit who would come and what he would do. Listen to what he said. He said, when the helper comes, that's the the Greek parakletos. It means to come alongside and assist. When the helper comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit? It's to bear witness about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will preach Jesus to your heart over and over and over again. He will bring you back to the cross. He will bring you back to your salvation. He will bring you back to the glory of Christ and the beauty of Christ. And in that, we become grateful people, people of gratitude, people of worship. He lifts our hearts up to worship when we see the centrality and the beauty of Christ in life and the gospel. So the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness not about himself, but about Jesus. And so that's why you can be sure that churches or teachers that talk more about the Holy Spirit than they do about Jesus are probably not gospel-centered churches or gospel-centered teachers. Now, we can talk about the Holy Spirit. We, we love the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is always sort of standing quietly by going, Jesus. It's him. It's Jesus. It's the cross. It's the resurrection. It's your great high priest. It's the intercessor. It's him. Exalt him. Worship him. Lift him up. And that's what he's always doing in our hearts. So part of the work of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, means that we process that experience with the Holy Spirit where he bears witness of Christ and we go, wow, Jesus. Wow, the cross. Wow, my salvation. Wow, the resurrected Christ. And he says, and that's why he can reasonably say, sing songs about it. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing that being filled with the Spirit means is that your heart is saturated with godly affections. And while I'm thinking of it, if you want to do some extra reading on this, there's a great book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Unspeakable Joy where he dives into this a little more. I think, Nate, you just read that recently, didn't you? It's a good book. Okay, recommended by Nate, so, you know. So uh, he gets into that idea, too, where to, to be filled with the Spirit means that your heart, your soul, your, your feeler feels. Your emotions are, are just electrified. They're supercharged with affection for Christ. And, and we see that in the text in verse 19. He says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. With your heart. Now, we can mentally understand the gospel, but fail to feel it in the soul. Our hearts can miss it. And we see this in marriage all the time, don't we? Which might make sense why the next metaphor that's used in Ephesians that we're going to look at next week is about marriage. And that... Marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Christ and his church. But we see this idea in marriages where we can love our spouses, but at times not feel that love. And actually, 
those of you who are married know with me that marriages start to struggle when time goes by without connecting emotionally. So as married people, we need to fight for intimacy. We need to fight for fun. And the older we get, the more sometimes we see this sad seriousness sort of take over our marriages. And what do we need to do in that moment? Like Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. You might say in this context, be filled with love for one another. doesn't mean you don't love your spouse. What am I saying if I said to be filled with love for one, one for another? What am I saying? I'm saying we need, to, we need to feel that love. We need to connect in a way where there's affection being stirred up for one another and that is felt. And even though you might mentally know that you love your spouse and that your spouse loves you, it's a whole different thing to feel that love. And this very thing can happen in our relationship with God. Now, early on, when we started Grace Life Church in 2010, we started as a small group in my house in East Avon. And we had, uh, we had about 25 people in our initial plant team, our core group. And then we added to that. And, and over a few months, the small group grew to 60 people in my house. If you've been to my house, you know that it was a full house. I mean, we felt like the underground church in China. And I've been there too. There's people down, you know, in the stairwell and people down the hall and every little spot you could sit, you know, people gathered together with their kids. It was a beautiful time. And eventually we're like, well, this, you know, this has to change. So we broke that group up into three groups and we had a group in Henrietta, a group in East Avon and a group in Lima. And uh, a young man uh, who had uh, been to seminary uh, joined a group, our group in Henrietta. Brilliant guy, real bookish guy, you know, like doctrine head guy. And, uh, he, he, you know, he would always enter into our conversations as we did sermon review or we were studying different books of the Bible. And I always appreciated his input. He was so spot on theologically. And, you know, I really appreciated that about him. But he came up to me not long after the group started, um, you know, after, after we were there for a time. Uh, and, and, you know, he made that sort of theological contribution. And he came up to me and he goes, can you explain something to me? I said, sure. He goes, how can I get the gospel so clearly in my head? He goes, I've got it. I get it. But feel so disconnected from God. He says, I'm in a wilderness and I've been in one for a long time. So on one hand, I get the gospel. And like, there's nothing I could say to him that would like correct his gospel thinking, at least in that moment, that I could perceive. And yet his experience was radically below what he believed. He said, how do I process that? And what's the issue? And I wasn't really sure how to answer him at the time. I prayed for him. But not long after that, uh, we were, as a church, going through the book of Galatians. And as we came to Galatians chapter 4, and I studied Galatians 4, uh, I think I began to see what the issue was, the spiritual diagnosis was that this guy was going through. And it's in Galatians 4, 4, and 7. I want you to look at it because maybe you'll see yourself here and you'll see what you need here. Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Amen. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So here's what we have here in these couple verses. 
God has an agent or a hero. He sends that agent or hero to a place on a mission. And in verses four and five, we have Jesus as the agent. God sends Jesus to a place, earth, and the mission is to save. So Jesus comes to earth to save and he accomplishes that. In verses six and seven, though, we have a different agent. We have the Holy Spirit and the place that God sends them to him to is not the earth, but our hearts and the mission of the Holy Spirit is not to save, but it's to cry, Abba, Father. So you might say that the mission of Jesus was to save us, and the mission of the Holy Spirit is to help us feel saved. Now, verses 4 and 5, if you read it, it's just doctrine. And it's wonderful doctrine. But it's just truth. He's just proclaiming truth. He's rehearsing gospel truth. And when it comes to doctrine, we just claim it. That's right. When I'm struggling and when I don't feel anything, it's good to just have truth that you hold on to and say, this is true. This is biblical reality. Regardless of how I feel, you just claim truth and you live according to that. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those who are under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Amen. That is just simply true for those who are in Christ. But then verses six and seven He's not really proclaiming doctrine. He's explaining an experience. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then they're through God. So this is taking the, the work of Christ and the doctrine of Christ and the Holy Spirit applies it to your heart and helps you to feel the salvation. He helps you to feel saved. And so as Christians, we can't simply say, well, all we need is truth. Nor can we simply say all we need is experience because you need the truth and the doctrine as the foundation. The Holy Spirit needs material to work with to preach Christ to your heart and help you feel saved. So we really need both truth and experience. And I think where you see the church or the body or Christians or teachers or people err or go too far on one side or the other, they miss the totality of what God wants to do in our lives. Some say it's only teaching. And they get all that right theology and doctrine and they don't have the life of the spirit. They're not spirit filled. And then you have those who are like, it's all experience and they miss doctrine and truth and their, exper- their experiences become unreliable. But here we have, I think, a, a gospel context where we believe truth and gospel and yet go to the Lord and say, help me to feel the effect of it. Help me to feel the power of it. Help me to feel the life of it and walk in that life of the spirit where my heart is saying, Abba, Father. Oh, I love you, God. I love you, Father. And I know you love me in Christ. Like Paul said, he loved me. And he gave himself for me as he spoke of himself. And John, Christ's apostle, called himself the disciple Jesus loved. It wasn't arrogance. It was just confidence that he knew he was loved by Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit. And I think the word crying in Galatians 4 clues us in more on the, the, the effect of this and that it is an experience. That word crying in Galatians 4, 6 is like Greek onomatopoeia. In other words, it's more felt than telt. It's a word that almost has a sound to it. Crying is really what it's saying in the original Greek. And one of the, one of the things that helps me understand even more like what this verse is saying is um, this word is, was also used in other ancient writings and in Greek 
to describe the croak of a raven. Okay, so, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into, our, in your, into your hearts, crying, croaking like a raven, Daddy God, Abba Father! Now, I spent some time in Africa, and whenever I go to guest houses in Uganda, these big, big scavenger birds, not ravens, but they, they, they uh, like, almost like big, huge crows, massive birds, scary looking birds. But in these guest houses in Uganda, if you've been to a country like that, oftentimes they don't have like uh, closed windows. It's just kind of open windows. And, you know, the, the climate is such that uh, sometimes they don't even have windows. They just kind of have these stone structures and the wind blows through. So anything that's going on outside, you can hear on the inside. And I would inevitably wake up. I remember when I would go to the Kulping house in Kampala, Uganda, the first couple times, you didn't need an alarm clock because these, these stinking birds would wake you up in the morning with this obnoxious, just you would hear at like 5.30 a.m. But over and over, and I'm going to spare you because I love you, and I'm not going to make that sound again because it's a terrible sound. But that's what, it's, that's what it's saying here. God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, and he croaks like a raven. Abba, Father. Folks, that is an experience. So, yes, we here at Grace Life who love doctrine, who have doctrine-driven services, who are always going back to the gospel, need to be reminded that there is a a parallel experience that goes along with our theology that lifts our hearts up to stir up our spiritual affections so that we can walk in the life of the Spirit and the joy of our salvation. Another example. Do you remember when the prodigal son was kissed by the father? Luke 15, just read a piece of that story. Luke 15, 17 through 24. It says, but when he came to himself, speaking of the prodigal son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. You know, it's one thing for the son to mentally know that his father loves him. But when the father comes up and embraces him and kisses him, it's a whole different kind of knowing, isn't it? I could be with my daughter as we're driving along and she's sitting in the passenger seat of the car. It's sitting there in silence. She can mentally know if her mind goes there. My dad loves me. But it's a whole different experience when I come alongside and I put my arm around her and I kiss her forehead and I say, sweetheart, you are so special to me. You have such an important place in my heart. I love you so much. That's a whole different kind of knowing, isn't it? You know, it's happened more than once in my years of ministry that a grown man will weep and say that his father never told him that he loved him. You know, they'll, they'll say, I think he loved me. I'm pretty sure he loved me. I actually know that he loved me, but he never said it to me. And, and there'll be this brokenness. So he knew, but he didn't know, you see? There's that disconnection. We've always said that the longest 18 inches in the world is the distance between your head and your heart. 
Sometimes we need to know what we know. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us do that. He stirs up spiritual affections. Let's go back to the prodigal son story. First of all, the prodigal son was wrong the whole time. Did you notice this script that he came up with? He kind of rehearsed it. And the reading I gave today rehearses uh, this script that he had. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. Just two verses later, he tries it when he gets to the father. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, did you notice the father didn't even let him finish? He didn't even let him finish that script. He didn't even let him finish, you know, wrap up this thing. Probably days and weeks, maybe months, who knows. He rehearsed this idea of what he was going to say to his father. He assumed that he was no longer worthy to be called the son. And immediately the father wouldn't have anything of it. And he immediately loved him and embraced him. This guy was wrong the whole time. And how often are we wrong the whole time? When our own feelings betray us and tell us the Father doesn't love us and bring us down into guilt and condemnation and separation. And we're not walking in the life of the Spirit. We're walking in the whims of our own hearts. Well, the Son needed to be lifted up. And so the Father kissed him. And it was a whole different kind of knowing that his father loved him when he came up and showed him this affection. Now, the prodigal son story, that moment shows us, I think, something about the work of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the kiss of the father for the prodigal son. What he must have felt in that moment. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So your heart is saturated with godly affections. That's part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We have this cat that was given to us by a friend. Uh, Chocolate is her name. And this cat is a cranky old cuss. Uh, I'm not a cat guy anyway. Um, And this cat is sort of the reason why I think the stereotype of cats exists. Just uh, give me my food and leave me alone. And don't try to pet me. And if you do, I'm going to hiss at you. And that's sort of our our coexistence, our cohabitating with this animal that lives in our house that has absolutely no ability to receive affection or show it. Uh, She just consumes our resources. (laughs) And no matter what affection we try to show this cat and our kids, they, they want chocolate to love them. They want chocolate to have this affectionate interaction with them. And it just ain't happening. And recently Jack said... Uh, to me. He goes, Dad, if this cat just knew that we loved her, he said, then she'd have an awesome life. And I said, Jack, you just preach the gospel. (laughs) And I said, you know what? Sometime that's going to end up in one of my messages. So here it is right here. (laughs) I think most people live in the world like that toward God. God showers resources on them. He showers all sorts of, you know, creation gifts upon them. And he he showers his affection and his love through Christ. And people hiss at him. And without the Holy Spirit, we'll never see his love and we'll always be like chocolate is. To us, we'll be like that to God. The Holy Spirit comes and he stirs up our affections. We see the centrality and beauty of Christ. And then our spiritual affections are stirred up by the Holy Spirit. We walk in the joy of our salvation. We become supercharged with the life of the Spirit in our hearts. And then finally, number three, to be filled with the Spirit means his mission becomes 
our mission. So I want you to think about this. It's a logical connection. What's the mission of the Holy Spirit? To bear witness about Christ. Therefore, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what do you think is going to happen to your hearts and your desires? You'll want to bear witness about Christ, whether directly or by extension. Isn't it a beautiful thing to be part of a local church that is preaching the gospel? And as you take your place in the body, by extension, here in in the nations of the world, or through ministries like Compass Care, we get to spread the aroma of Christ and bear witness about Jesus Christ. And so verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I love how this is telling us to live. He says, look carefully. That's a good encouragement for us, especially in a day, in a day when uh, the tail wags the dog all the time, that the, the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of the demands that we have in work, in life, in, and even things that are uh, urgent important and things that are urgent not important. Got to watch my show, right? Got to check up on my, my Facebook, right? I, gotta, I got 10 notifications and I got to follow up on those. And, and, and it's like we're constantly dragged away and we're being pulled along by, by the demands of our life, our lives, good demands and, you know, silly demands that aren't important. And we're being pulled along and Paul says, okay, stop, stop, look carefully how you're living, live intentionally. And then he says, Make the best of use, use of your time because the days are evil. When he says the days are evil, he means a couple things. Number one, he means that our days are short because they're cut off by death. Death is still in the world until Jesus returns. And so the days are evil. The days are short. You don't have enough time, and the time you do have is a gift from God. So he's saying use it wisely. And secondly, to say the days are evil means that our days are full of temptations that might cause us to waste our time. And he's saying, don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. You know, I'm I'm, uh, in my late 40s, somewhere around there. And I went last fall and had my annual physical. And my doctor said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're a healthy 49-year-old. And this time, I I don't know, those of you that are growing older, and you know what I mean. You're all growing older, aren't you? <laughs> you get up in years, you know what I mean. You get up in years and you start to feel your own mortality. You start to feel my time is short. This isn't forever. And you start to understand verses like all flesh is like grass. It grows up and it withers away in the sun. It's just a moment. It's fleeting. Life begins to move very fast. So after I had that physical and I was walking out to my car and, you know, I got the report, you're a, you're a healthy 49-year-old guy, I, uh, I just had this incredible gratitude and sobriety in my heart, like, wow. And maybe it was because of the pandemic uh, or just the reality that I've had several friends and acquaintances around me, people I went to school with, people I've known in previous years, die over the last few years. You know, just, just last week, I got the report that these... Uh, Twin sisters that I graduated with in 1989 from Schoharie High out in western New York. Beautiful, beautiful girls when I was in high school. Uh, They both died within the last year. One from an overdose and one from cancer. And so I get a report like that and, and it hits me different now. I go, wow. 
I say, thank you, Lord. You've given me more time. Not that I expected not to have more time, but I'm just seeing time now as a precious gift from God. And I want to use it. I want to be careful how I walk. Not as unwisely, but as wisely. I want to use my time well. And it wasn't long after that that Heidi and I started what we thought was a lighthearted conversation about some life change. And, well, you know where we're headed now. But that all comes from what Paul is saying here. And it was actually this verse that was quickened to my heart as I was in the parking lot of that doctor's office after I got that good report. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, for the days are evil. This also means we're embracing the mission of Jesus and the purpose for which he put us on the earth. Make the best use of the time. Fulfill your purpose. Fulfill your destiny in Christ. Be a part of the, of the work of Jesus in the world. And I want you to look at Acts 4.31 with me and what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit in that context. It says, when they had prayed, speaking of the early church and the disciples, some of them anyway, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So here we see that when the Holy Spirit filled them, they were courageous and began to preach the gospel. They got on mission. So in this instant, to be filled with the Spirit meant they got on mission for Christ and they had the spiritual power to do it. And I think that even courage is, is, uh, is a gift from, from God. I mean, sometimes we get this, I think this, um, I don't know, exaggerated picture of what spiritual giants the people in the early church were. But if you look at Acts chapter 4 and look at what they were praying, not long before this verse I just read, it says, Lord, consider the threats and grant thy servants boldness that we may speak your word with courage. Why were they asking for boldness? Because they were scared. They were intimidated. And that is not unusual for the Christian. And in our day, I think the demonic spirit that was in Goliath centuries ago, millenniums ago, is still around in this world. And maybe it's emerged in our culture, trying to intimidate you, trying to scare you, trying to say, shut up and privatize your religion. Keep it to yourself. We don't want to hear it. Paul says, make the best use of your time. Let's embrace the mission of Jesus Christ. Let's be, let's be about his work. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were filled with courage and they continued Speaking the word of God. I want to encourage you to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a way where you receive spiritual gifts to do ministry like Jesus. And one of those is courage. It's courage to open your mouth. It's courage to walk through that door. It's courage to walk across the cafeteria. It's courage to stand up and say something. Ask God and he will give us courage and he'll give us spiritual gifts to do works of ministry like Jesus. That's what spiritual gifts are. They're they're gifts from God, supernatural power from God that come in a variety of ways to do ministry like Jesus Christ. You know, there's one thing that a Christian will never get to do in heaven that we only get to do now. And you know what that is, right? It's win a lost soul to Jesus Christ and see someone's eyes opened to the gospel. You either do that now or as beautiful and wonderful as heaven is going to be and the new earth. You've lost your opportunity forever. 
We can only do that now. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Years back, I heard uh, a man named Paul Johansson, who's, who's a guy that uh, is part of the Elam movement, a very esteemed man who has a vast experience in ministry and especially missionary work. And I actually attended his church in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, when I was a missionary there, and five, 6,000 uh, people at the time, and just such a beautiful expression of the gospel there in, in Kenya. Well, I heard Paul Johansson tell a story once about when he was in Kenya. Um, there was a man who was in, he was a Christian, but he was not a missionary. He was in Kenya, in particular Nairobi uh, area, to work on the fireboxes that, you know, help run the engines of, the, of these trains years back. And one day, a co-worker came to this man who worked on the fireboxes, and he said, I know that you are a Christian. He said, and I, I, want, I want to be one. How do I become a Christian? And this man said, I, I don't know, I, uh, but I have a friend who knows. So he went and he grabbed Paul Johansson, and Paul Johansson uh, came and, and, with this man, helped lead his co-worker to Christ, and, and this man became a radical follower of Jesus and a, and a very healthy believer and, and shared Christ with his family. And many people in his family came to Christ. Well, years later, uh, when the man was retiring and he was going to head back to America, uh, Paul Johansson went down to the train station uh, to see the man. And they got on the train as it was exiting the station as the man was going to go to the airport and the train was kind of moving slowly along. And as they're on the train together, they look back and there on the patio of the train station was this man, this co-worker who had come to Christ with his family. And they're just waving goodbye to this man who'd worked on those fireboxes. And Paul Johansson said, you know, brother, all those years you worked on those fireboxes. Good work. But you know what? Not one of those fireboxes is out here on the patio to say goodbye to you. Said, but that one family that you had an impact on for Christ, look, they're right here to say goodbye. He said, don't ever forget that. And I want to say to you today, don't you ever forget it either. There's a lot of things we spend our time doing in this world that are good and they can honor God and they can give glory to God. But the most important work is to see lost people come to Jesus Christ. Look carefully how you walk, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Some application. Number one, I'm just going to repeat what the text says. Be filled with the Spirit. Be, pursue it. Say, Jesus, show me the beauty and the centrality of Christ. Let my eyes be open to the truths of the gospel and doctrine and who Jesus is and what he's done. Number two, Lord, stir up my spiritual affections. Saturate, supercharge my heart with, with gospel-informed uh, emotions. And then number three, Lord, let your mission become my vision, my mission. Give me a passion to bear witness about Jesus Christ and give me spiritual power to do it. And Jesus says, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's a good father. He won't give you a snake. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, and I say this figuratively, put the cell phone down. And by that, I mean, there's so much in culture that uh, pulls us to excess. It pulls us away from how we might otherwise spend our time. And you know me, I'm not a legalist. You know, I'm not saying you can't be on your cell phone or watch TV shows or any of that stuff. You know, years ago, was, was it that uh, New York City guy told everybody to shoot their TV? Uh, is the cross and the switchblade guy. Anyway, I'm not saying shoot your TV. 
but I am saying live in moderation when it comes to these things so that you have discretionary time in your life to spend on the, on the mission. So that you have discretionary time in your life to give to God's work, whether it be in the church or in the nations or in your community, to somehow be available and, and reorient your life around the gospel. And finally, application number three, I want to encourage you to look way out, okay? Get, get, most of the time, we, we spend our time in this very small space of time, and we evaluate everything based on this, you know, carpe diem, right now. And the gospel says, be seated with Christ in heavenly places. So the gospel helps us to go, look out, look way out. Okay, how will you view this little small sliver of time that you have in this world? How will you view that a thousand years from now? 10,000 years from now, a million years from now. You know the gospel promise is that 10 million years from now, you and I are still going to be conscious, living, breathing people? That's amazing. So because that's true then, let's look way out and go, okay, a million years from now, when I look back, how, how am I going to view what I'm doing right now? That, that's helpful, isn't it? To, to get out of this moment and to get some perspective because it'll help us Fulfill what Paul is encouraging us here to be careful how we walk, making the most of our time. You know, it's like the, it's like the preacher said to that one young guy who, you know, he knew the young man was idolizing his career and, you know, was uh, materialistic. And so this young man came and said, my life is set. I, got the, I finally got the job I wanted. And the preacher said, wonderful. Congratulations. Just Wonderful. He goes, and then what? The guy goes, oh, well, I'll buy a house and I'll gain many things. Good, good. And then what? Well, maybe I shall marry and I shall have children. Wonderful. And then my kids will grow up and, and I'll watch them grow up. And then I shall retire in comfort and ease. And I shall be there for my grandchildren. And I'll leave a great inheritance to them. Wonderful. And then? Well, I guess... I'm going to die. And then, you see, what is he doing? He said, I want you to look way out. Because you're not looking way out right now. The way you're living, you're not looking way out there. You're not, you're not being seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Holy Spirit helps us do that. Come to the Lord Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, I want to preach a simple gospel to you. That you are not saved by your works, your morality, or religion. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift, not the payment, not something you earn, not a paycheck, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I want to invite you into this journey with God. I want to invite you into this life with the Holy Spirit by believing in the Lord Jesus. And maybe you go, well, I'm not that bad of a person. You know, if God would certainly accept me right now if I died and stood before him. Can I just explain something to you? Sometimes I think we think about... Um, you know, how, uh, how, how good we are, it's sort of like if you're in a group of people in a forest being chased by a bear. You know, if, if, you're, if you're in a forest and you're being chased by a bear, all you have to do is to be faster than the slowest guy in the group to be okay. And that's how a lot of people think about judgment and, and morality and goodness before God. They go, well, I'm, I'm faster than that guy. No, no, it's not how it works. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For it is appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. 
And what will you do if you stand before God not clothed in Jesus Christ? You don't have enough righteousness of your own. But Jesus Christ provides that for you as you believe in His work on the cross, that He died for your sins, He paid your sin debt so that you could come to Him. What must you do? Believe and receive that gift of salvation. Let's pray. Father, I first of all pray for those in here who are uh, wrestling with the truths of the gospel, wrestling with the claims of Christ. I pray, Lord, that your spiritual power would give them eyes to see and ears to hear today what it means that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but your gift is salvation. Give them the grace to receive by faith that gift and begin the life of the Spirit, to be indwelled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. And help us all, Lord, to be filled in a way that we'd see the beauty and the centrality of Christ, that we would have our spiritual affections stirred up this day and we'd be on mission and living out our purpose for which you made us. That like King David, it was said, even though he sinned greatly, the epitaph of his life was still, David served the purposes of God in his generation. Let it also be said of us that we serve the purposes of God in our generation. We welcome you, Lord. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do these things among us. In Jesus' name, amen.